I want to turn to God's Word for a moment. And over the last, over the last few weeks, we have been looking and talking about the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And I wonder when we, when we think of, or at least hear of the name of Jesus, what, 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 is, what you see in your mind's eye. And at this time of year, of course, we can think of that baby in the manger. Or perhaps we can maybe even see a man walking by the Sea of Galilee. Or a figure that's hanging on a cross. But as we begin a new year, I thought we should finish this sort of Christmas series that we have been going through with this with just an incredible picture of what Jesus Christ is like now. And the best description is found in John's vision recorded in Revelation chapter 1. And in it, John describes something of what Jesus Christ looks like right now. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. This is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. On the Lord's day... I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And this vision, this vision begins not with sight, but with sound. And what John heard on the Lord's day was a trumpet-like voice behind him. It was Jesus speaking, powerfully speaking. As far as we know, the apostle has not heard Jesus' voice since he returned to heaven some 60 years earlier. Now, after all this time, Jesus is speaking to him, commissioning him to write a book, to send it to the seven churches. Later on in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John will again hear another trumpet-like voice summonsing him to heaven, this time in response to the voice. John turns around, and this is what he sees. He saw a vision of the glorified Christ. 
The vision that was so powerful, it was vivid, it was extraordinary. But the first thing that John notices is seven golden, seven lampstands. And these seven lampstands represent the seven churches that will receive this book. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20 also explains that the seven stars in his hand represent the angels, maybe the pastors of those seven churches. And God's hand is on his church and on his servants and he places them where he wants them to shine for him and where is Jesus verse 13 he's in the middle of the lampstands where is the risen Christ in the middle of the churches and at the beginning of 2023 I want you to know that Jesus is standing shoulder to shoulder with his church. Now, Freedom Church may not be perfect. Well, of course, no church is. But it is his church. And he is here. And he is standing with us as we, we gather together. But, but, but what, what really captivates John's attention is, is the person. Someone like a son of man. Now this phrase, this phrase echoes from the words of Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 to 14. Daniel writes, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approaches the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And as we look at John's vision, can you try and just picture the image of Jesus as described here? He is dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, priestly robes, illustrated perhaps in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 4. These are the garments that were made. This is Moses speaking here, a breastplate, an ephod, a, a robe, a, a, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are, to be, they are to make these garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. But Christ's garments are more than just priestly robes. They are those of a priest king. This is one with honor. This is one with authority. There is no other priest. No one has, there's no one comparable to this. No one like this has ever gone before. His head and his hair were white as wool. An image again that's taken from Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. He writes, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days took his seat his clothes his clothing was as white as snow his hair of his head was white like wool his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze the white 
hair symbolizing his eternity as the ancient of days, the one who is outside of time, who is infinitely eternal and unchangeable. His eyes were like blazing fire. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18, it talks in a very similar way. It says, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. His eyes see all, enabling him to judge righteously. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And he stands in contrast to even the most powerful kingdoms of this world. Again, back in Daniel chapter 2 and verses 41 and 42, that the powerful kings of Babylon are likened to feet of clay. However, the purity and the strength of Jesus' feet are incomparable. In fact, his feet of burning bronze also suggest judgment significant because in the tabernacle, the bronze altar was the place where the fire consumed the, the sin offering, a picture of the Lord who comes to judge the churches and the evil systems of this world. And he stands in strength and in victory and in judgment. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. This resonates with Ezekiel 43 and verse 2. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming down, coming from the east. His voice was like the roaring of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. And this sound of, of rushing of many waters, perhaps creating this image of a mighty waterfall. And it's Christ who gathers together all the streams of, of revelation. And he is the Father's last word to man. He is the culmination of all truth. Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophet at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made this universe. The Son is the radiant radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And all of the prophetic streams of the Old Testament, they come together in Christ to create this mighty river of such power that it is just unstoppable. Nothing, nothing can stand in his way. But there is a second idea that flows from his mouth that is also linked to his voice. Out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Later on in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, we read, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And when he speaks, 
He speaks with power. He speaks with authority and must be heard. And this sword from his mouth, without doubt, represents the living word of God, part of the armor of God mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And he fights his enemies and his weapon of choice, the word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword. Finally, his face was like the sun shining. There are a number of pictures here. Firstly, the eternal city of Revelation 21, verse 23. The city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. But also, the Lord's shining face reminds us of the prophetic from Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And the sun is this familiar image of God in the Old Testament, which speaks not only of blessing, but also of judgment. For the sun can burn as well as bless in Jesus, there is absolute light, a place where there can be no darkness at all. It's a place of healing where all sin and sickness is burnt up and removed. And this vision of Christ was totally different from the appearance of the Savior that John knew when he was here on earth. This is no gentle Jewish carpenter. He is the risen, the glorified, the exalted Son of God. And the power of Jesus is, is highlighted further in verse 18 because he holds the keys. He has all authority. And as John looks at Jesus and sees Jesus more clearly than probably we will ever see him until he returns again in majesty. Yet I wonder, have we ever even began to think of Jesus in this, in this way? Jesus, the, the miraculous baby in the manger, who grew up to be the suffering servant, nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb. But listen, he is no longer there. He is risen. But, but sometimes our, our rightful focus on the cross of Jesus Christ can, can actually take our minds or even our eyes off the real Jesus. He is still awesome, this majestic ruler of John's vision. And a Jesus like this, is a Jesus that you need on your side in a hostile world. That's what you need, or he is what you need with you throughout 2023. A Jesus worth remaining faithful to and living for. And John's response was not a surprise. Confronted with the presence of the glorified Jesus, he fell at the Lord's feet as though dead. 
Again, remember, this is the apostle who lived three years of his life with Jesus. But the vision of the exalted Christ produced such fear, such awe to Jesus' closest friend that he fell to the ground. This is the disciple who... This is the disciple who would lean on Jesus as they ate a meal together and they chatted together. But now he's no longer relaxing and, and, and relaxing up next to Jesus or chatting with him about how his day has gone. As, as he'd done so many times before, he is face down in the presence of the king. Yet I wonder how easy is it for us to sometimes speak and maybe even act with undue familiarity towards the risen king. And Jesus presents himself to his people in majestic glory. And we need to have this this fresh awareness of Christ and his glory. We need to see him like the the prophet Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. And I I do worry that sometimes there are times when we can be this dangerous absence of awe and reverence in our worship of him. For he is the one who is, is glorious. He is majestic. He is holy. He is pure. He is fearful and he is splendor. And listen, he is crowned with glory. He is majestic in power. He is eternal in brilliance. He is radiant in energy. He is boundless in power. He is destined to be worshipped by all the peoples and all the nations of this world. He is our savior, our judge, Lord of all and king of kings. But what is really interesting is what Jesus does next. He reassures John, and he touches him and speaks to him. Fear not is a wonderful encouragement to anyone. So what is the right response to Jesus? the risen king. After all, Jesus really clearly says that terror is the wrong response. So what is the right one? The right response is worship. Three reasons from the very mouth of Jesus why fearful terror is the wrong response and why worship is the right one. First, He is the first and the last. He is the eternal one. He is the all-wise one, the everlasting creator of this earth. Listen, he never begins he never begins a job without finishing it. In the beginning he created this world with the power of his words. Six days later he had finished it and he declared it was good. What he begins he ends perfectly. He began the work of salvation immediately after Adam and Eve sinned. He prepared the way to the cross through the Old Testament law, through atonement, through sacrifice, teaching us that God hates sin and loves holiness and and grace. And then when, when all was in place, Jesus came at just the right time. And as he died on the cross, he declared, it is finished. The work 
of salvation was completed on that cross once and for all. Nothing more needed to be done. You simply receive the complete gift of grace. Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, he saves, and he saves fully and completely. So as a believer, you have been forgiven and renewed all and only because of his grace and you live in confidence because of his full, of his complete salvation. So how do you respond to that with terror? No. <laughs> you worship him. Do you respond by wasting your time worrying about past, repented, forgiven sins? Listen, they are done. They are completed. No. Rather... You spend your time praising him. The second declaration that Jesus makes, he was dead. And as John looks at Jesus in fearful terror, his mind is surely being flooded with all of his sins, with his unworthiness, with his evilness, with his guilt. And then he hears Jesus say, I was dead. And all of the sins that you've repented of, Jesus said, I was dead. I died for all of those sins, and you are forgiven. To all the punishment that you deserve, Jesus said, I was dead. I have dealt with all of that punishment. To all of the guilt, to all of the shame, to all of the unworthiness you feel, I was dead. I died to remove all of that guilt and that shame and you are now righteous so you can stand and you can worship because I was dead. Jesus died that you might live. This removes all fear and it leads us, it leads us to worship him. And thirdly, he declares... He is alive forevermore. The glorious resurrected Jesus, the one that John the disciple knew and loved 60 years earlier, now terrified him. But he shouldn't have. Jesus said, I am alive. Tell everyone about me, I am alive. Death was temporary. Jesus is alive. He reigns and he is to be worshipped forevermore. And, and this description of Jesus by John is perhaps one of the most wonderful and breathtaking that you will ever read. But he did not just come back to life. He is alive. He didn't just come back to life. He gives life. He gives eternal life. He takes spiritually dead men and women and he breathes spiritual life into them. He takes cold, apathetic Christians and he revives them. Jesus is the resurrected Christ. He is the risen king. And seeing him... For who he truly is will change your heart, will draw you into passionate worship of him. 
because Jesus is alive, you can face this new year ahead of you. Because you will not find him nailed to a cross. It's empty. You're not going to find him buried in a tomb. Neither death nor the tomb could hold him. He has risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the promised king who sits on the throne forever. He is Lord of all. Because he is alive, joy replaces despair. Hope removes fear and life conquers death and you will discover that Jesus revealed to us through the Bible is the Alpha and the Omega the Deliverer the Good Shepherd the Great High Priest the Light of the World the I Am the King of Kings the Lamb of God. He is the Mighty One, the Redeemer, the Way, the Truth, and the Life. He is the Word, and He is the Victorious One. So woven through all of Scripture is the message of the Savior, Jesus, the exalted, risen King. And of course, you need to know that Jesus is the only way to make a fresh start with God right now. There's no better way to begin another year than to make a fresh commitment to follow and to serve Jesus as your Lord and as your King. And when you call out to him, God by his spirit will work in you and through you. He will transform your life. He will save you. He will change you and you, you will know the joy of the Lord. At the beginning of 2023, lift our gaze and look at our glorified, exalted Savior and King and respond to him in the only way that we can worship him, the one who is to be worshiped forevermore. Lord, as we face another year, Lord, we thank you that we can face it with you. The one who exalted, the one who has all authority, the one who reigns on high. And so, Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.